Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. At this whole idea of God, but I wonder if it's kind of humorous, but I wonder if at times that's our attitude towards God in prayer. So let me just ask you a basic question this morning. How is your prayer life? Do you need some help in the area of prayer? Today we're launching our church-wide focus on prayer. This entire month of April, we are going to be focusing on prayer. Let me just give you a little bit of a background as to why we're doing this. Back in October of 2015, back in the fall, um, all of our leaders met together for a two-day retreat. And during this retreat, we looked at different areas in the life of our church, and we did some strategizing and some planning and some evaluating. But it became very clear to us as the retreat wound down that prayer really needed to be the focus of what we would be as a church. That all the other issues that we would be dealing with would would be helped if prayer was a focus. And so as elders, we took a lot of that information and and we have um, just basically decided that for this month of April, we as a church are going to take a journey in the area of prayer. And so you may say, well, why, why prayer? Why not evangelism? Don't we need help in evangelism? Why not leadership development? Why not discipleship? Why not tithing and giving? Those are all good things to focus on. But here's the bottom line. Nothing of great consequence will happen without prayer being the foundation for everything that we do as a church. And so I want to just give you a a few reasons this morning as to, let me just kind of tell you where we're going this morning. This is a little different sermon. The first half of my sermon is more topical. The second half, we're going to actually get to Matthew 6, but I'm laying a foundation. So what I want to do at the beginning of the sermon here is to give you some reasons why we as a church are focusing on prayer for an entire month. And here's reason number one. It's a a very practical reason. We must be honest that we all struggle with prayer and need to learn to pray. I asked you last week not to raise your hands. I won't ask you this week to raise your hands, but how many of us need help with prayer? We we just struggle with prayer. In Luke 11, 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. It's interesting what they don't ask Jesus. They don't say, Jesus, teach us to do evangelism, which is good. They don't say, Jesus, teach us to do miracles, which is good. They don't say, Jesus, teach us to use our spiritual gifts. Jesus, teach us to raise people from the dead. Jesus, teach us to do vacation Bible school. Now, we don't know that they didn't ask those questions. Maybe not vacation Bible school, but those other questions. But what we do have in the Bible recorded is this question, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And don't we need to be taught to pray? How often do you pray? How do you pray? How is your prayer life? And the question is, can we even be taught to pray? 
Lord, teach us to pray. Does prayer come easy? Anybody here? Does prayer come easy to anybody here? It's hard work, isn't it? Prayer is hard work. And I'm not an expert in prayer. I'm not leading us on this journey saying, I've arrived at prayer because I don't pray the way I'm supposed to be praying. Um, I was talking with somebody this week, and they asked, do you pray every day? And I said, no, I don't pray every day. There's some days I forget to pray. And they were shocked, like the pastor forgets to pray? Yes, I'm not an expert in prayer. So I'm taking us on this journey to learn how to pray. After the service, out on the Welcome Center table, we've made available for you what we've called a 30-day prayer journey. And what this 30-day prayer journey is, is it's to guide us as a church, all going through it at the same time. It's basically a quiet time guide each day for the next 30 days. But what it does is, I've gone through 10 actual recorded prayers in the Bible that people actually prayed. And what I want us to do as a church is to look at how the people in the Bible prayed to learn how those prayers were, were prayed and then to actually pray those prayers back to God. Because here's the point. You can never go wrong in praying when you pray the Scripture back to God. You know you're praying biblically when you're praying back to God. So those will be available for you out on the table. That's, that's a tool for us over the next 30 days to learn how to pray, to be taught how to pray from the actual prayers of the Bible. So that's available after the service. Second reason why we're going on this journey as a church over this month is that prayer is the lifeblood of all true believers. Now, that's, that's the theme. That's the title. That's the, 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 the whole title of our sermon series, Lifeblood of All True Believers. Where, where does that come from? Um, a couple of months ago when I was studying prayer and looking at different authors and different, and different scholars, I came across this quote by John Calvin that really stuck with me about what prayer is. Um, He said, prayer is a communication between God and us, whereby we expound to him our desires, our joys, our sighs, in a word, all the thoughts of our hearts. Prayer is the outpouring of the soul, the deepest root of piety, the bedrock of assurance. And this is the statement that really stuck with me. He said, prayer is the most important part of the Christian life. It is the lifeblood of every true believer. Now, when you think of lifeblood, what do you think of? What does your blood need in order to be able to to live? You need oxygen. Your blood needs to be pumping. You, You need blood and oxygen to survive. And so what prayer is, is prayer is what helps us survive spiritually as Christians. It means that we can't live without prayer. It's the lifeblood of everything that we are. And the Bible commands us to pray. It tells us that we are obligated to pray. It's something that we must do in order to be obedient to Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 6 to 18, Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayers and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pray at all times. That's a command. Pray at all times. Philippians 4, 6-7, this is what Mickey quoted earlier when he did our, our call to worship. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer 
being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And in the most famous one, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. These are all commands in the original language in the Bible. We are commanded to pray. It's part of our Christian obligation as, as believers in Christ to be obedient. It's something that we're called to do. But prayer is not just something we're commanded to do. It's a privilege. It is a wonderful privilege. Think about what prayer truly is. When you, when you stop and think about what prayer truly is, prayer is this. You have immediate, unfettered access to the God of the universe, and you can talk to him about whatever's on your heart, and he listens to you. It's an amazing thing to think about the privilege of prayer. You can pour your heart out to God. You can go raw before God. You can get messy before God. You can dump on God. Now, a lot of people don't like to be dumped upon, but God does because he can handle it because he's your creator. Listen to how the psalmist described the desperation that comes in having prayer as the essence of who you are, the lifeblood. Psalm 73, 25-26 Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you hear the desperation? There's nothing else on this world that I desire besides you, God. And we go to God in prayer. We go to God in desperation. Psalm 86, 11 through 12. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. I will glorify your name forever. We're to go with our whole heart before God in prayer because it's the lifeblood of who we are as believers. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about prayer. He said, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when he's on his knees, when he comes face to face with God. So number one, we need to be taught to pray. We struggle with prayer. We need to go on this journey to learn to pray. Number two, it's the lifeblood of who we are as believers. We can't live without prayer. It's it's who we are. But number three, all great movements of God have begun when God's people have taken prayer seriously. When you go back and trace revival, and reformation, and spiritual awakening, not just in America, but all over the world. When you go back and look at the history of revival and spiritual awakenings, it's always been because God people prayed. Now, we can't force revival. We can't manipulate God to bring revival. God is sovereign. God will bring revival when he chooses to bring revival. We can't manufacture it. We can't plan it. We can't program it. God has to bring it. But there's one thing that we can do in relation to revival. We can sure pray for it. We can ask God to bring about a spiritual awakening in our lives. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about revival. He says, I have no confidence at all in polished speech or brilliant literary effort to bring about a revival. But I do have all the confidence in the world in a poor Christian who would weep her eyes out because people are living in sin. Hear what Spurgeon says? I could care less about all these um, people waxing eloquent about revival. What's really going to re- bring revival is when people get on their knees and weep because our nation's living in sin. You know, back in the late 1850s, our nation was at a crossroads. 1850s. 
It was in 1857 that the Supreme Court brought down the Dred Scott case. If you remember, the Dred Scott case basically prohibited slaves from being U.S. citizens. And then in 1857, right after that, there was a huge banking crisis that hit the Northeast. It hit Boston. It hit Philadelphia. It hit New York. It hit Washington, D.C. It hit Chicago. And this was leading up to the Civil War. So our nation was in a time of upheaval. I don't know if you, if you know your, your history of the United States. But in New York City, there was a businessman named Jeremiah Lanfear. And Jeremiah Lanfear had this crazy idea in New York City, of all places, let's just have these noonday prayer meetings. And we'll just invite people to come and, and pray on their lunch breaks for revival. And so he decided to start this. And on the first day... Six people showed up. After a year, every day at lunch in New York City, over 10,000 people stopped going to their jobs and came to houses of prayer to pray. Now think about that. That's New York City. That, that would not happen today. This revival spread to the Midwest in Chicago where D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist, was used of the Lord. And then it spread to the South in Virginia. And there was this atheistic girl. She was a college student. She was an atheist. She didn't believe in God. But this revival swept uh, down to her part of the, the country and she got saved. And you know what her name was? This atheistic college girl that could care less about Jesus? Her name was Lottie Moon. We have a Christmas offering every year for her. She became a missionary to China because of this. Historians tell us there has never been a point in American history when there's been more salvations, more unity, and more gospel awakening than the 1857-1858 Great Revival or the Fulton Street Revival that happened in New York City of all places. And how did it start? Did it start with pastors? Did it start with a huge campaign? No, it started with a businessman that said, hey, we're just going to start praying. We're just going to start praying on our lunch breaks. That's what we're going to do. Jonathan Edwards said this about spiritual awakening, and he was the father of the first great awakening in America. He said, when God is something very great for his church, it's his will that there should proceed at the extraordinary prayers of his people. Now, here's what we're going to do for the month of April, starting this Thursday, okay? So Thursdays, every Thursday in the month of April, the sanctuary is going to be open at noon, on your lunch break, if you take lunch at noon. We are going to ask you to come and fast for an hour. That means you just skip lunch. Now, we're not asking you to do a 24-hour fast, a 5-day fast, a 40-day fast. Just skip your lunch break and come to the church. And for a concerted about an hour of time every Thursday, as you skip lunch, we're going to specifically pray for spiritual awakening. We're going to pray for revival. We're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray for God to bring revival to our hearts. And if it's just me down here praying, that's fine. If there's 50 of us in here, that's fine. We're going to have a prayer guide that we'll go through. And so we're just asking you, if you can, if you can make it here to the church, there's nothing magical about coming here, but it's, it, God has used that in the past to, to birth revivals, people praying together. So we're, we're asking you to every, every Thursday pray about Thursday fast. Skip your lunch break, come to the church, and pray. So number one, the reason why we're doing this is because we just struggle in prayer. We need help. Number two, it's the lifeblood 
of who we are as believers. Number three, God has often used the prayers of his people to ignite revivals and spiritual awakenings around the world. But here's number four. It's beneficial from time to time for the entire church to be unified around a strategic focus. It's beneficial from time to time. We haven't done something like this in a while, where the entire church is coming together for a strategic month, and all we're focusing on is prayer in our growth groups, in the 30-day prayer journey, and having the Thursday morning or Thursday lunchtime, and having prayer meetings on Sunday nights, and, and having sermons on prayer. In the book of Acts, the early church, there was something that they did. They devoted themselves to prayer. You go through the the first chapters of Acts, Acts chapter 1 verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Acts chapter 6 verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That word devote means to continue steadfastly, to never give up, to passionately, urgently, consistently devote yourselves to prayer. And they did it unified. They were together in prayer. They were unified. They prayed in one accord. So what's my prayer as your pastor? My prayer is that we would excel in prayer. That over the next 30 days, as you are in your growth groups and you're learning about this, as we look at the Lord's Prayer, as you're learning to pray through these recorded prayers in the Bible, as maybe you come on Thursdays to pray during your lunch break, as you come on Sunday nights to prayer meeting, as we go on this journey together over the next month, that we would learn how to pray. Our praying would be more biblical. Our praying would be more consistent. Our praying would be more unified. We would be a house of prayer and that God would take us on this journey of transformation where our prayer lives would never be the same. That in the end, we could truly say that prayer is the lifeblood, the lifeblood of who we are. We can't exist without it. So for the next three weeks on Sunday mornings, we are going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. So now I'm asking you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. And some of you may be so familiar with this that you've recited it over and over again. I have learned a lot. Let me just tell you, in my study of the Lord's Prayer over the past few weeks, I've actually learned some things that I didn't know before in the Lord's Prayer that have really kind of excited me and some things that I want to share with you as a church family. So let's just read together Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some of the older translations have, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, before we look at the Lord's Prayer, I just want to give a few observations about the Lord's Prayer. It may be so familiar, it may be something you've recited growing up, that you, you kind of, okay, it's the Lord's Prayer. Let me just give you some observations about it. Here's observation number one. 
I want you to notice the prayer's brevity. It's short. It's short. Do you realize the effectiveness of our praying is not in how many words we use? You can say a lot of words and not say much. You ever heard somebody pray like that? They say a lot of words but don't say much. Father God, dear Lord, um, Father God, oh yes, Lord, Father God, we pray that you would just be with us today, Father God, and just bless so-and-so today, Father God, and we, just really, we really want you to be here with us, Father God. And bless, After about 15 Father Gods and bless me and bless that, you're like, okay, you've spent 30 minutes saying nothing. Now, I'm not disparaging anybody's prayers if you pray like that, but I'm saying you don't have to pray a 30-minute prayer to be effective. This is a short prayer. Look, look how short it is right there. It's short. Jesus gives you a short prayer. You don't have to use a lot of words to pray effectively. You can pray short and strategic and meaningful if you look at the model of the Lord's prayer. It's short. It should shock you. It's not this huge, long, drawn-out prayer. As a matter of fact, what does he say earlier? The Gentiles do that. They think they're going to be heard by their many words. You don't have to spout out a bunch of words and be all flowery. It's short, it's concise, and it's brief. So that's the first observation about the Lord's Prayer. Second observation about the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus gives us a perfect model of not only how to pray, but what to pray for. Okay, so it packs a punch here. How do you pray, and what do you pray for? And as we look over the next few weeks, we're going to see that in full color. It's a template. It's something to, to peg mental pegs on. Jesus says, pray like this. And so he gives us a template. He gives us a model. He gives us categories that we can look at as to what to pray for and how to pray. And we can be specific and short because it covers almost every area of our life. So number one, it's short. Number two, it's a model. And then number three, and this may be something that some of you struggled as you grew up reciting this, this is not a passionless prayer to be recited mechanically. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be... I mean, all this different stuff. It's not, it's not something you just recite mechanically. This is something that gives you order to your praying. It gives you structure to your praying. It gives you mental categories to pray. And you can pray this prayer passionately. And you're not just to pray it. Jesus didn't say, pray this exactly in this manner. He doesn't tell us to rotely, mechanically, just recite it with no passion. He basically says, in the original language, it's more, pray this type of way. Pray in this manner. This is a template. This is a model. This is not something to be recited mechanically and, passionately and, and without any passion. It means that we really should not rush into our praying, but think about how we pray. Now remember, Jesus says you need to learn to pray, teach us to pray, and he gives us a model prayer. So if we have a model prayer, we need to look at the model prayer and say, what does Jesus tell us to do here? How do we pray? And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is looking in depth at the Lord's Prayer. And so for this morning, all that we're going to look at is just the address. The very beginning of verse 9. Our Father in heaven. That's the address. Our Father in heaven. Before you ask for anything, before you petition God for anything, before you request anything, it's who are we talking to? Our Father in heaven. Almost every recorded prayer in the Bible 
starts with an address to God. They don't just start rushing in and telling God what they want God to do. They address Him. And you will see this as you go through the 30-day prayer journey. As you look at these recorded prayers, you will see that almost all of them start with an address. For example, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, you're going to go through Nehemiah chapter 9 is one of the prayers we're going to go through. This is how he starts the prayer. You are the Lord, you alone. You've made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that's on it, the seas and all that's in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worship you. That's the address. Daniel chapter 9, verse 4. We're going to go through Daniel's prayer in chapter 9. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, quote, here's Daniel's prayer. Here's how he starts. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Acts chapter two, or Acts chapter four, that's another prayer we're going to look at. How do they start their prayer in Acts 4:24? When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Here's the prayer: Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and the earth and sea and everything in them. Our Father in heaven. That's all we're going to look at this morning. But I want to see three things about this prayer and then a little postscript, okay? So here's the first thing about our Father in heaven. First, because of Christ's work on the cross, we can boldly approach the throne of grace as adopted children. We can boldly approach God the Father's throne of grace as adopted children. That's why we call him Father. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You can tell a lot about a person's relationship with God by how they address God. If they call God generically God, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But when somebody calls God their father, what does that mean? It means that we're his children, and he's our father, and we can come to him, and we can approach him, and he's our good, gracious, heavenly father. We can have an intimate, close, near relationship with him as a child. That's how Paul starts his prayer in Ephesians 3. That's another prayer we're going to look at. In our 30-day prayer journey, Ephesians 3, 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Now, not everybody can call God their Father. This is not a universal, not, not every single person can call God their Father. They can call God their Creator, but not their Father. This is a privilege for only those who are believers in Jesus Christ, who have come to faith in Christ, who've been adopted into God's family. It's a privilege to call Him Father. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And so, as a child of God, when you go to the Father, you can go to Him with hands open, knowing that He's a good Father, He's a great Father, He's a gracious Father. You can come near, you can approach, you can, you can draw near to Him. It conveys intimacy, it conveys relationship. Open hands. In Aramaic, it's the word Abba. Now, we don't really have the closest um, translation to Abba, but maybe the closest we have is, is maybe Daddy. It's, 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 it's not this official God. It's, you're my Father. I can come to you as my good, heavenly Father. I can call you 
Abba. Romans 8, 15 through 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we're children of God. You see, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're now adopted children, and we can approach our God as Abba, Father, Daddy. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we could be called children of God. And so we are. Let me just stop and address something that might be a sore point for some of you in this room this morning. And I don't don't know your background and I don't know where you've come from, but there may be some of you that struggle with the idea of God being your Father. And here's why. Maybe you had an abusive father. Maybe you had a distant father. Maybe you had an absentee father. Maybe you have a cruel father. And for you to think about God being a father, number one, it's confusing. And maybe number two, it's a little unsettling. I don't know if I want to relate to God as father because I didn't have a good earthly father. And I can't even begin to understand your background and where you've come from and and all the issues related to your upbringing. But let me just say this about God the Father. Regardless of what kind of earthly father you've had, God our Father is perfect. And he loves you perfectly. He cares for you perfectly. He's never going to be an absentee father. He's never going to abandon you. He's never going to leave or forsake you. He's going to shower blessings upon you. He loves you. Never doubt the father's love for you as his child. He is a perfect, good, gracious father. And so the beauty of praying to our Father is that He's near, He's close, He's our Father. We can come in intimacy, we can come in confidence. He's our good and gracious Father. As James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. You can draw near to God in prayer. You can come to prayer uh, to, to God as your Father. But at the same time that He's Father, He's also exalted transcendent, majestic, and sovereign, which leads to our second issue this morning. Yes, he's our father, but what's the second half? Our father in heaven. Now, why did Jesus add that? Our father in heaven. He wants us to remind us of something. Because, here's the second issue, because of his position in heaven as majestic sovereign, We must humbly approach the Father's throne of grace with awe and reverence. Yes, we can go to our Father with confidence, with joy, but we need to remember that we're going to Almighty God who's in heaven. Remember what God told Moses to do at the burning bush? What did he tell Moses in Exodus 3, 5? Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. We need to remember that when we pray. He is our good and gracious Heavenly Father, but we're also in the presence of Almighty God, and we're on holy ground. He's in heaven. He's exalted. He is sovereign. He's almighty. 
Remember Isaiah's experience when he was in the temple? Remember Isaiah goes into the temple in Isaiah chapter 6 and he he sees the Lord and all of his glory there in the temple. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 3 and 5. The seraphim, these winged creatures, are calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts god is close we can draw near to god he's our good gracious heavenly father but he's not our buddy he's not our homeboy we don't just come flippantly into the presence of god we come near we come close we come with confidence but we have to remember we're coming to the presence of almighty god so it seems like somewhat of a paradox Yes, we can get close, but we can get close. But we also have to realize that he's in heaven. He's exalted. He is powerful. We must come with awe and reverence and humility. A couple years ago, I was listening to a sermon by Art Azurdia. He's preached here a a couple times. and um, He was talking about how he and his wife went on a trip to another church on Sunday because they were on vacation. And they didn't know this pastor very well, and they decided to go to this church because they felt like they needed to be church on Sunday when they were on vacation. So it came time for the pastor's prayer right before the sermon. And the pastor begins praying like this. God, I command you to... And then started listing off all these things that he commanded. And Art said, I looked up during the prayer, just opened my eyes to see if the pastor was still alive, to see if God hadn't struck him dead. Yes, he's a good father. And yes, we can approach his throne with confidence. And yes, we can receive help in time of need. But we can never command God. We can never demand God to do things. God's not a vending machine that we can get mad at. Contrary to what you see in the prosperity gospel where you can tell God to give you whatever you want, he is your good father and he gives you what's best according to his will and you approach him with confidence, but you also realize he's sovereign. He's in heaven. He's exalted. We don't ever command God. He's almighty God. He rules and he reigns. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. So yes, in one breath, we approach our Father joyfully accessing him near approaching his throne of grace with confidence intimacy fellowship in the same breath our father's in heaven we cannot command him we cannot demand him he is exalted he's sovereign we humbly submit to his sovereignty and to his majesty and to his holiness so those are first two things about our father in heaven but here's the third thing that you need to realize third Because we address God as our Father, we must be unified in our prayers as members of the same family. When you pray, you could very selfishly be thinking all about yourself. Lord, bless me. Lord, take care of me. Lord, it's all about me. But do you realize that Jesus does not say, pray like this, my Father who's in heaven. Now, there was nothing wrong with that. 
I just said, he's your father. We can go to him personally. He cares for you personally. He cares for you individually. He's there for you. But Jesus doesn't say, my father. What does he say? Our father. Now, why does he say our father? He's reminding us that when we pray, we are unified We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not just some privatized individual Christian over here, Lone Ranger, that's going about life ourselves. We're together in this. And so we're praying together. We're praying unified. We're praying for each other. We're not praying selfish prayers. We're praying unifying prayers. And it's going to set the stage for your mindset when you begin to pray. Because when it comes to thy kingdom come, if you're not thinking kingdom-wise and you're just thinking individual-wise, your mindset's not in the the right place. And so we can become very privatized and consumeristic, and it's all about me and my prayer life as opposed to our Father. It's all of us together. We're we're praying as a family. That's why it's important that we have prayer meeting. One of my non-negotiables as pastor since I've been here is that we will have corporate prayer meeting, whether it's just me and my wife and the elders or whether there's a whole room of us. But on Sunday nights, we gather here for prayer. And it's not glamorous, okay? I don't preach. There's no special music. We just pray for an hour. But let me just say this. It is one of the joys of my life to do that. I love to finish off the Lord's Day at prayer meeting because I get to see You guys pray passionately. I get to hear your prayer request. I get to see how God's working in the life of this church. Here's one thing I don't get the advantage of. I can't be in all of your growth groups. This morning in your growth groups, I'm sure you shared prayer requests. In the women's Bible study, in all your small groups, you're sharing prayer requests. As pastor, I don't know what's going on in the life of this church. I I try to get as much as I can, but prayer meetings at one time where we can all come together and unifying and say, we're going to pray together our father in heaven okay so number one he's father we can approach him with confidence because of jesus but he's in heaven we approach him with awe and reverence and humility but he's our father and so we're unified and we're doing this together here's just a postscript the postscript is that the Lord's Prayer does not necessarily teach this, but I think it's a principle that the Bible does teach, and that is our praying must be thoroughly Trinitarian in nature. We pray to our Father in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how can you even access God your Father without Jesus? You can't. Now, when I say we pray in Jesus' name, it doesn't mean that after every prayer you have to say, in Jesus' name, amen. And if you forget to do that, your prayers didn't go up because you didn't seal the deal. You can start in Jesus' name. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Now, how many of you are weak when you pray? You don't know what to pray. You're tired like this morning on Sunday mornings. I'm in my quiet time, and I'm like, Lord, keep me awake. And then, of course, Zachary woke up and interrupted my quiet. He never does that. Today, I'm preaching on prayer. You know, Zachary comes walking out, wanting breakfast, and so, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. How many do we need help? We need help with the Holy Spirit. So let me just give you how I usually pray, okay? I'm not saying this is a magic formula. I'm not saying that you have to adopt this, but let me just get you in mind how you pray trinitarianly, okay? This is normally how I pray, myself personally, and a little bit more raw, okay, because I'm, you know, confessing stuff, but let's just, this is how it normally goes. Father... I am so glad that I can come to you today in prayer. And Father, the only way that I can come to you in prayer is because of Jesus. 
Jesus, you have opened the way for me to come. Jesus, you've died for my sins. Jesus, I praise you that you've given me access to the Father. And Holy Spirit, I'm weak today. I don't even know what to pray half the time. So Holy Spirit, would you please grant to me the power to be able to pray? And so Father, Son, Spirit, I come to you today to ask for help. I enter your presence today. I praise you. Just something like that, where you're in your mindset thinking about the Trinity. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert. I've, I've got miles to go. A lot of miles to go on prayer. And I'm sure all of us have miles to go. But here's my question for you. Are you ready to go on this journey for the next 30 days, at least to go on a journey to, to think about prayer, to, to pray more effectively, to pray more consistently, to, to learn how to pray, to, to be encouraged in your prayers, to see answers to prayers? Then come on this journey with me over the next 30 days. And let me just ask you this question. Can you truly say prayer is the lifeblood of who you are? Robert Murray McShane, the famous Scottish pastor who died early, he, he was only like 30 years old when he died, has this very profound statement about prayer. He says, what a man or woman or boy or girl is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. And would you spend just a few moments practicing what we've learned here this morning? Would you go to your Father in heaven? In the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you spend just a few moments in prayer this morning preparing your heart to take the Lord's Supper? Father in heaven, Father, you are our good and gracious Heavenly Father. And Father, the only way that we can come into your presence, the only way we can approach your throne of grace is through the merits of Christ. So we thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood for us. We thank you for dying for us. We thank you for opening that, the door of access for us to the very throne room of God our Father. Thank you that we've been adopted into the family of God. So, Father, we draw near. We are needy. We are desperate. We want more of you. We, we want to, to love you and honor you and worship you, Father. And we also acknowledge, Father, that you're in heaven. You're sovereign. You're a consuming fire. You're, you're a holy, holy, holy God. The whole earth is full of your glory. And so, Father, help us to never forget that you're sovereign on your throne. What a joy it is to be able to approach you as sovereign and as Father. And, Father, help us to remember that we're praying to our Father, that we're together in this. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're, a, we're the brothers and sisters of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We're not in this alone. We're to be praying with each other and unified together corporately for one another and with one another. And so help us on this journey to grow in prayer, to love you more deeply through prayer, to practice praying more effectively and more biblically and more passionately, more earnestly. Father, would you do a change in our hearts? Would you do a change in this church? Father, there's a lot of things that are wrong in this world. There's a lot of things wrong in this church. And we could complain all day. 
But Lord, the real work is when we get on our knees and come before your throne of grace. So Father, would you make us a house of prayer? Would you grow us in prayer? Jesus, would you teach us to pray? We need to be taught. We're weak. We're helpless. We're clueless at times. Would you teach us to pray? And now as we celebrate your Lord's Supper, would we joyfully come before the table and receive the elements as a means of grace to strengthen us in the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.